You really do, like all time. Ever marked by the fact that our Lord and Savior appeared. And what, a, what just a wonderful thought to wake up every day. Hey, here we're just a little bit further. And though the world may deny it, uh, the calendar uh, says otherwise. Uh, what a blessing. And what a blessing to share that uh, this, this day with you. Uh, Christ truly is born and, and he is redeeming us forever. Open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're not already there, the text has already been read for us. We're going to look particularly at the first seven verses there, thinking about how we need to make every effort in Christian growth. When I was in high school and college, I worked at Sonic and Applebee's, and for some reason, uh, people are always really interested in people's romantic lives, and people seemed to always find out that I was just the kind of guy that didn't sleep around with my girlfriend in the rare times that I ever had one, uh, but they, they were just, you know, blown away by that. Um, and some people admired that, and they told me that. A lot of people, though, uh, they mocked me for that and made fun of me for that, um, and they joked about it. Do you really think that God is actually going to judge you for enjoying a little fun with your girlfriend here and there? Do you think he really is going to send you to hell for that? And so I explained to them that uh, while God is certainly merciful towards those who repent, yes, indeed, I would face hell if I went on sinning deliberately, presuming that God would forgive me. In fact, Paul warns us about this in Ephesians 5, doesn't he? Go look at it later. Uh, look at it later if you don't remember what I'm referring to. He, referring to, Paul says, don't let people deceive you. People in sexual immorality will not receive God's kingdom. But somehow this rarely made sense to others, even people who believed in God and believed, yeah, Jesus is someone great who came for our salvation. Why is that? Why is that hard, so hard for people to, to understand and to really grab onto? I think it's really because people have remade God and even Jesus in their own image. And that even happens in Christian spheres. People believe in a distorted version of God and Jesus. He's all-powerful and yet never angry. He only has positive feelings. He's never jealous. He has a lot bigger fish to fry than who we sleep with. Uh, and he chuckles if he notices us going astray. He's all too ready to forgive even deliberate wickedness in the world's mind. He's just all love, and that love is, well, my own definition of love. And he's certainly not going to judge the world. In fact, you'll notice that there's often just not really an end or goal to history at all. In fact, the end of my own personal life is, is about as far off as, as people in these circles can see. And because of this mindset that denies God's judgment and sees sin as not that big of a deal, sin just runs rampant. And particularly, the kind of sin that will run rampant, you'll notice it, it was back then and it's today. You read it in 2 Peter and you see it today. Sexual sin is particularly what people want to really loosen the reins on. And that can sneak into and absolutely has sneaked into the church. You know, Maybe we just have space to loosen up the reins a bit on these standards that we have for sexuality and divorce. Perfect purity, after all, don't we all know it, it, it's just not possible. We've been so quick to cast stones in the past, haven't we? 
And in the end, I think God's going to be merciful to us. We, we, Jesus, he's trying to give us rest, right? And, and all this obsession about killing sin, is that really the rest that God's trying to give us in Jesus? We need more of that rest that God's trying to give us in Jesus. Amen? Right? You see how deceptive that mindset can, can come around in our minds and in the world's mind. And if you have family and friends like mine, not the family in this room, but uh, the family and friends like mine, it just seems like every few months, someone else that we thought was faithful and would always be faithful, surely they wouldn't ever step aside. They either drift off into sin or they even start just outright affirming uh, what is wicked themselves. And in this environment, it can become really discouraging and we can start to wonder, is purity, is righteousness, is godliness, is that really possible for us? Can I really keep going? Uh, as dad mentioned this morning, uh, it's foolishness to act like none of us ever has these doubts. Uh, for me, uh, it's been a year where I woke up a lot of times, bad days where you start to wonder and think about these questions. Can we really remain faithful in the end? Do we have what it takes? Is, is the faith really just going to get watered down in the end? Maybe, maybe in the end, actually, just God, maybe he just doesn't care that much. Maybe, maybe he would have done something about it by now. If it's really that big of a deal. I mean, I can't remember a time where God stopped the world for, for sin. Have you? Can you? How short our memories are. There's nothing new about this environment, though. It's the environment that Peter was, is addressing all throughout 2 Peter. And I encourage you uh, to give the letter a, a, a read this week and just think about the environment Peter is writing to and just see how closely our current environment within church culture uh, matches the environment Peter's writing to. As he says in chapter 2, false prophets arose among the people back then, just as there will be false teachers among you. It's happening in Christendom. And I think that's why Peter, as he, he's drawing near the end of his life, he writes this letter. I think, the reason, I think that's why he starts out this letter with just a lot of reassurance. And so before we get to the portion where, where Peter says, hey, let's grow in these Christian qualities, I want you to notice what Peter says to reassure us in our faith before he gets to that. The first thing he says is, in verse 1, that we have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, we have faith, a faith, whether we're talking about the body of knowledge uh, that we have or our own personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have a faith that's of equal standing with Peter's, with the apostles, with the Christians of the early generations. And I think whether we're separated from Jesus' first coming by 30 years or 2,000 years, it can be easy to start thinking that maybe we're at the bad end or the, the long end of a really bad sloppy game of telephone. You know telephone, right? And, and, and we're, we've just, it's just been botched. The message has been botched and what we're doing has been botched. We're just totally different. But remember, this is not a game of telephone where we're relying merely on humans to tell us what we ought to do. 
where we're relying and having faith in humans, uh, though humans have done a lot to carry the message to us. Paul said, entrust it to faithful men. But in the end, we've obtained a faith of equal standing, Peter says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our faith's not in man, but in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not at the long end of a bad game of telephone. We're trusting in Jesus Christ when we say we have a faith of equal standing, that it hasn't got out of hand for those who really rely on the Lord. And you notice what he says there, by the way, that we're trusting in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He is our God. You'll notice that that's just not something that the New Testament says very often, just overtly referring to Jesus as God. But here, he overtly refers to him as God. Even uh, one of the songs that we sang tonight, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, referred to Jesus as our God. And what an awesome thing. We are trusting in him. Uh, The second thing that Peter says to reassure us at the beginning of this letter is he says, Through our knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, His divine power has granted us everything that we need for godly living. You know, the corruption of the world can get us discouraged. The corruption of other churches can get us discouraged. Corruption in our family and friends and maybe even our own sin can get us down and we can start to think, is godliness really possible? And Peter says, no, through the knowledge of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, He has... He has given us divine power that grants us every single thing that we need for godly living. We have been cleansed by Jesus Christ. We have assurance that we can walk with him. We've been given his spirit. We've been given his word and his law. We have everything that we need to live godly lives. Do we believe that? I think when Satan gets in our mind, then we start thinking, no, it's impossible to live a godly life. Not possible. We don't have what we need. But he says, no, we have everything we need. And third and finally, God promises. He reassures us with one third thing. He says in verse four, he says that he has granted us precious and very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires. The problem with this whole mindset when people say that sin's just not that big of a deal is we're kind of giving a soft pass to the difficulties in the world, to the death, to the sickness, to the disability, the infertility, the destruction that has been worked in our world. And you know why the destruction and decay and corruption is in our world? Peter says it right here. He says the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Sin's not a big deal. How do we answer for that? How does the liberal Christian answer for this idea that, that, that sin's just not that big of a deal, that, God, that God's got bigger fish to fry. How do we answer for all the death? Are you just going to say, peace, peace, roll over it with white paint? Not that big of a deal. That's why everything is so bad. Or have we forgotten that this is just not the way things are? This death, this destruction, this disability, it's not just the way things are. It's not the way God made the world to be. It's the way the world has become because of sin and sinful desire. Have we forgotten that? Maybe we forget that and we start thinking, well, this is just the way the world is. God didn't make the world to last forever. And, you know, we better, you know, we forget. Do, Do we forget what it was like in the beginning? Do we forget what the world was like when Jesus came? Jesus One of the reasons why he came 
was to remind us of what the world was like when God was with us. It was a world with completely different physical, chemical, and biological processes. It was a world where God dwelled with us. And when God dwelled with us and came into contact with death, destruction, and uncleanness, uncleanness and death and destruction didn't rub off on him. His life and cleanness and purity rubbed off on the death. Everywhere Jesus went, when he touched the dead, they rose. The unclean, they became clean. I, that, I, I don't know what kind of world that is where you step in a muddy puddle with clean shoes and the muddy puddle disappears. That's a, that's a crazy world that I don't understand, but that's the way things are supposed to be. And that's the way the world is when God is in it. And the problem the problem is saying, well, this is just the way the world is. Sin's not that big of a deal as we forget. No, this is the way the world has become, and it's messed up because we cave to sinful desire. And that, that, that corruption and that death and that decay, it touches us. It's going to take everyone we love. It's going to take us too. But Peter says here, you notice what he says? We have precious and very great promises that by them we may become partakers in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world. God originally made us in his image. And that doesn't simply mean that we have a conscience. That means that God made us to be his representatives, to rule on his behalf. Temples are filled with carved images saying, God owns this place. But this world, he has filled with his people saying, God owns this place. But we've done a pretty poor job at that, right? But Jesus Christ is the one who's done that right. That's why we have Christmas. Thank God for that. Jesus is the one that's done that right, and he is restoring us to share in that divine nature. Read over that again. To share in his divine nature. Various theologians have tried to sum up the, just how huge that statement is and other statements similar to it throughout history. Athanasius, back in the fourth century, said, God became man that man might become God's. It's kind of a bold statement, and he's, he's not saying exactly what you might think he's saying, though I wouldn't necessarily say it like that because people might take it the wrong way, but he's on to something. C.S. Lewis softened it a little bit, made, and he said, the Son of God became man that man might become sons of God. Or I might put it, the divine one took on flesh eternally that flesh might share in his divinity eternally. There's something going on there, right? He's lowered and then exalted that those who are lower might be exalted to share in his eternal nature. We can share in that and escape the corruption that's down here. It's not that we're going to be um, everything that God is, right? He's always God, but, but he's lifting us up in some sort of way. And that's just a beautiful thing. And that's the problem, when we just say, well, you know, sin's just not that big of a deal, and then we get ourselves enslaved to animalistic behaviors that take us further and further away from God's image and God's nature. It's just a problem. God doesn't have bigger, God has bigger fish to fry than our behavior. 
He took on our flesh eternally that we might share in his divinity eternally. I don't think he has a lot of bigger fish to fry than our behavior. That's just what he's deeply concerned about. And so what should we do about that? As has been mentioned, as we draw near to the end of the year and we think, what ought I to do? As our brother was praying earlier, we want to set goals to be able to become more like God, more God as he is God not taking his position, but trying to image his perfection and his holiness. What should we do? Well, that's what Peter says we should do. He says we should grow. In verses five through seven, the, 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 the upshot is that we should grow in Christian qualities. He speaks of growing in faith and in virtue. That's moral excellence and integrity. He speaks of growing in knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, or brotherly affection, and in love. And I think this text offers us a great opportunity to think about uh, setting goals for the new year. And so let's consider, with the rest of our time, three big picture things from, from these verses, from this list of Christian qualities that Peter tells us to, to grow in. Three big picture things. The first thing that we learn about Christian growth from this list is that Christian growth is holistic. And what I mean by that is it's interconnected and we shouldn't get narrow-minded and think only of one Christian quality. It's holistic. It's an interconnected, inseparable web. Now, translating a list like this in English is a little bit difficult. And you might think that Peter, whenever he says, um, supplement in the ESV, supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and so on. You might think that he's just kind of got a basket and he's just adding randomly a bunch of things together and saying, just grow generally in all these qualities. But it's a little bit more nuanced than that. It's a little difficult to translate. The idea is that each quality springs up from the previous one. The way I want you to read it um, and you can do more research yourself later if, you, if you're not sure about what I'm saying. But the way I want you to read it is like this. Faith is the means by which we grow in virtue. And virtue is the means by which we grow in knowledge. And so on and so forth. Each quality is interconnected. You need each one to grow in the other. Now, Lists like these were actually really common in ancient Greek literature outside of Christians or Jewish literature uh, among the faithful and even Christian literature uh, outside the Bible uh, where they had these, this interconnected web of, of qualities. Now, they typically ended and began in really intentional ways. However, you shouldn't, though I say that each quality springs out of the other, you shouldn't then think that well, that means that the order of every single quality is super specific. For example, when he says in verse 6 that by means of our knowledge we grow in self-control, we shouldn't think, okay, knowledge and knowledge alone is going to help me grow in self-control. That's not really the idea. Most interpreters say that these lists, except for the beginning and end, they're the, the order is random. The idea is rather to say that it's all interconnected. You need each of these qualities to grow in the other. The point is to say, don't just grow and love faith knowledge, but use each quality to grow in the other. And the best way to understand this um, is, I think, to think about our bodies 
and a healthy body and what that looks like. Um, over the last few years, Ashley and I and our family, we've tried to pursue healthy living. And in doing so, um, maybe you've been like us, you've stumbled across various extreme dieting measures, right? Not dieting for us to lose weight, but rather just to be healthier and to feel better, have more mental energy and things like that. Um, so there are these extreme diets and they try to focus on one part of your body, like healing your gut or having more mental energy or losing weight. And the problem with a lot of these extreme diets where you just cut out a ton of things um, that God made, uh, the, the problem is that they can oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes they can become rather imbalanced. And they focus and obsess over one part of the body and forget about others. So maybe you really obsess over your gut, but you forget, well, if you do that, you might forget about your metabolic health, or you might forget about your thyroid, or you might forget about this or that. Um, for example, our guts, they have over 500 million neurons constantly talking to our brains, right? So our bodies are holistic. They're very interconnected, and we can't ignore any of them. It's not wise in the end to focus on just one aspect of our health, just weight loss, just gut healing, just this or that. And it's not healthy to just focus on one and only one area of Christian growth. Now, I'll qualify that. It's good to say, you know what, and we'll talk about this later, you know, maybe I'm lacking in knowledge, I need to work on that. But if I think I'm just going to work on knowledge and knowledge alone to the exclusion of others, well, that's going to become a problem. And we kind of know this, right? Sometimes there'll be churches or even people or we ourselves will have like these hobby horses, like particular qualities that we really like. We're, well, we're the church about love. We don't really know very much. Or, or we're, the, we're the church that's about brotherly affection. We're always handing out holy kisses. Not very good on the purity, but, uh, you know. Well, that just, man, that just ruins those holy kisses, doesn't it, right? And that, that, that knowledgeless love, it just really ruins the love in the end. You need all of them. So, so really, individually and as a church culture, we want to pursue Christian growth in the new year in a holistic way. It doesn't mean that we can't identify weaknesses and work on them, but we're going to talk about in a little bit how we need to work on them in holistic ways, not ignoring uh, other qualities in the midst of that. The second thing we learn from this list about Christian growth is that it starts with faith and its goal is love. So I just told you that the ordering of these lists is oftentimes random, but the beginning and end of these lists is almost always very intentional. It, it, it begins at the beginning and it ends at the goal. For example, uh, Stoics, this ancient Greek philosophy, they usually began or ended their lists with knowledge. It's because knowledge for the Stoics, that, that's just where everything began. You, you needed to know some stuff, or maybe that was the goal, was knowing some stuff. But you'll notice that, the, that for Christians, knowledge is not the very beginning, and knowledge is not the goal. A very important thing, certainly, right? Knowledge is. But it is not the goal, and it's not the beginning, though it's part of the beginning, certainly. Knowledge, you know, that's how we can have faith, right? Don't want to press that too far. 
but knowledge is not the beginning. Hold up, Jesus, you're going to have to tell me everything before I walk with you. Or hold up, Jesus, you need to tell me everything, and once I know everything, then I will have reached what you want me to to be. No, that's just not how it works. We start walking with Jesus because of our faith, our trust in him, our loyalty, allegiance that we give to him. And self-control, that's a vital quality that we need to grow in, but that's not the goal of our Christian living, is it? It's love. That's, that's just what sums everything up perfectly. It's what holds the Christian life all together. Christian growth starts with faith, and its goal is love. And so if you're discombobulated, you're not really sure what's wrong in your life, um, or maybe we, we just don't know what is up or down we're disoriented in some way, or we don't know where to start with Christian growth, maybe let that be a compass. We start with faith, everything else is in the middle, and love, that's the goal. So think about faith for a moment. Are you feeling unstable right now? You're not sure what's up or down. You're not even sure what's true, what you can hold on to for stability. Your faith and trust and loyalty to Jesus Christ, that is the foundation of a godly life. You know, our temptation is to put faith in other things. Or our temptation can be to take other qualities and to put them at the bottom. So, for example, think with me for a moment. If you're disoriented after the past couple of years with corruption and people saying this or that, and you're not sure what's true, maybe you could be tempted to say, you know, what we really need to do is put knowledge at the bottom here. What I really need to do is do some more research and figure out what's true and put that at the foundation of my life and the foundation of my growth. And once I figure out what's true, then I'll be good, then I'll be stable. And that might seem like a, like a reasonable, good, stable place to go except for we'll forget that the knowledge that we gain is oftentimes biased and always limited. And if that's the foundation of our whole lives, if that's the foundation of our Christian growth, then our whole structure crumbles every time our body of knowledge changes, which is someone who loves to read and learn and listen. My body of knowledge is always shifting and changing. What I always think I know is always shifting, except for some few core things. And that's just not a really good thing to have at the very bottom of things. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ needs to be at the bottom, the foundation of a Christian life. Or maybe, maybe you're disillusioned by your own sin. You've made poor decisions and you're discouraged by that. But in the new year, you're going to get things right, right? And you're going to put moral excellence and virtue at the bottom. You're going to grow that You're going to start with that. I'm going to get everything right, and then I'm going to always do the right thing, and then then my life will be stable, right? Then I can really grow when I get everything right. What's the problem with that? You're not going to get everything right, are you? You and I, we're going to fall. We're going to fail. Our virtue is not where we start, a very important part of Christian growth, not the foundation, not the foundation of Christian fruitfulness, our faith and trust and loyalty and allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's at the foundation. And love is the goal. Do you wonder why you're here? Do you wonder why you got up this morning? 
Do you wonder why you had kids? Why you got married? Why, are, why am I going to work? Why do I keep fighting? Why do I keep living? Why do I keep trying to stop sinning? Why do I keep trying to do better? Why? Why? It's a question I ask a lot. Ask Ashley, why are we even here? What did God make us for? You know why you're here? You know why you're get, you got up this morning? You may not know it. You may have forgotten, but your body's still doing stuff. It still got here because your body knew something that your mind had forgotten. It's because of love. Because you want to love God better and you want to love the people in this room better and the people um, in your home and your neighbors better. That's ultimately why. Your mind might have forgotten that, but I think you're here because your body remembers that. You want to love better. You've forgotten where you're at, where, you, where you've come from, where you're going. Faith, that's the beginning. And love, it's the goal of every single thing we're doing. Our growth in knowledge, our growth in virtue, our growth in godliness. The reason we try to stay steadfast is to love God and people better. After all, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and give away all I have but have not love, I'm just nothing. Third and finally, third thing and final thing to learn about Christian growth is that Christian growth requires making every single effort. Make every effort, Peter says, to increase in our virtue by means of faith and so on. Every effort. Paul elsewhere, he talks about the Christian life as like a race. I love that metaphor because every time I think about that metaphor, you probably too, I think about the Olympics. A couple years ago, Ashley and I watched a show that, that went into the background of how these young women, these gymnasts came to be where they're at. Maybe you watch the Olympics and you're just amazed at how those young women do what they do. And this show just went through a few hours just trying to ex kind of exploring what their life was like. You know, what we saw was that they had to leave behind everything to become good gymnasts. They had to make every effort. They got up early, went to bed late, changed school. They moved states, cut off friends that held them back or coaches that held them back. They spared no expense, did everything they could to go for gold. They did that for an imperishable crown. Will we do it, or rather for a perishable crown, will we do it for an imperishable one? Make every effort. Now, that's not to say at all that we should become imbalanced like they are imbalanced. <laughs> Sometimes I, I think I find that when we want something really bad, uh, the, the people that want something the most, maybe they, they pursue it with the least wisdom, right, and, and a lack of balance, and they, they, they forget some important things along the way and ultimately crash and burn. So it's not to say that we do it in an imbalanced way. God is giving us life and life abundantly. But the point is to say that growth and these qualities, it just doesn't come to us. It's not just something that's gonna land on us one day where we, where we wake up at 60 years old and we find, man, I'm just the man or I'm just the woman that I always wanted to be and, and, and it just happened. No, it requires making every effort. We have to be intentional about it. We have to make goals. Someone might say, well, you're just being pharisaical or you're being legalistic, but that's not Phariseeism and that's not legalism. Uh, Phariseeism and legalism, that, that's pride and hypocrisy. 
People don't become Pharisees by making every effort. That wasn't their problem. So to make every effort in the coming year, just some brief ideas to think about. We need to identify where we are lacking. What's the problem? What's the weaknesses in our life? Imbalances. Have we neglected knowledge? Have we neglected the goal, love? Have we tried to put virtue at the bottom of our growth? And every time we fail, we think our whole Christian walk has crumbled because we've forgotten that faith is at the bottom. What is it that is off in our life? Where's our weaknesses? Let's identify those today before we go to sleep, or at least, please, before the end of this year, if we want to really grow. See what our weaknesses are. And second, let's make holistic, specific plans to address those weaknesses. If we just have a general plan to to grow in brotherly love or to grow in self-control, I don't think we're going to make it very far, right? We We have to make specific plans. That's, that's what it means to make every effort, I think, or at least that's part of it. But making specific plans doesn't mean being narrow-minded. Um, and so here, here's what I mean by that. Maybe we want to grow in brotherly love, brotherly affection. And so the way we're going to specifically do that is we're going to say, I just, I, I don't have a lot of brotherly affection in my life at all. And so our family or I, we're just going to have one family over in our, into our home once a month. That's just a great starting goal for us. But maybe we shouldn't just narrowly only focus on brotherly affection because maybe we wanted to do that in the past. And why did we fail? Why did we, maybe you've set that goal in the past. I know Ashley and I have. And why have we failed at that goal? Why did you fail at that goal? Well, maybe it was because of the interconnected, holistic nature of our lives. And maybe we lack steadfastness to get us through. And why do we lack steadfastness? Why do we get so down on ourselves? And why do we get so discouraged and then not continue through with our plan to have people over to grow in brotherly affection? Well, maybe it's because we need to grow in our faith, right? So we need to see why is it and not be naive, not make plans to grow naively, just thinking that I'm going to make the same goal that I've always made in the same way and, and forget how I'm going to get there, that I need the other Christian qualities to support me. Or maybe, maybe I want to grow in moral excellence and virtue and godliness, and the way I'm going to do that is by being accountable to a brother or sister about my behavior. Well, that's a good plan. That's a good plan. Why did maybe you start to become accountable to a brother or sister in the past so that you could grow in virtue, but then you've slipped on that? Maybe it's because we don't have a lot of brotherly affection. Maybe not a close relationship there, right? So just, just some ideas to think about as we, as we try to make every effort to grow, to, to make specific plans and holistic plans to see how interconnected our Christian lives are. And finally, we need to work hard and not quit when we fall short because virtue is not at the bottom. Our faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ who cleanses us of our sins, he's at the foundation of, of our lives. I admire how Jesus says, or appreciate how Jesus says in the parable of the soils in Luke, that the good soil bears fruit with patience. Not like the rocky soil that just becomes really excited and springs up and then falls away in a difficult time. But through the difficult times continues to bear fruit with patience. You're just not going to bear fruit overnight and neither am I. We're not going to be everything that we always wanted to be tomorrow. We have to have steadfastness, walk 
slowly, run slowly, jog, keep going, don't stop. And you're going to wonder on January 2nd, why did I make all this effort? Why did I keep doing this? Why, why, why did we talk about this that Sunday night? Why do we care so much about Christian growth? Remember what Peter said. Remember the death, decay, destruction that's in our world. Why is it here? It's because of sinful desire. And sinful desire is what takes over our lives when we don't pursue Christian growth and make every effort towards that. That's why we're pursuing this still on January 2nd, trying to keep growing in godliness and knowledge and faith and love is because something that is horrible, something that will destroy our lives and our families' lives is coming after us. And we cannot stop growing. That's why New Year's and new goals, I think, are an admirable thing. Because after all, God's making the world new and he's making you new. And so it's not futility. It's not vain to make new goals, to pursue godliness in this difficult, godless environment. Because what Peter is saying is that God has supplied everything that we need for godly living. These plans that you and I are making, they're serious, they're real, and God's promising to bless them. Not to make us perfect in them, though one day we will be perfected. You're not going to, but he's going to bless them. It's not vain. This is an effort that God says, I'm going to give you everything you need to be able to pursue that. That's why we're doing this, is because we believe in his promise that we can share in the divine nature and that he is giving us everything we need to be able to do this. Again, not perfectly yet, but one day, one day. Brothers and sisters, in our world, the question simply is not whether or not God cares about us living godly lives or whether he has bigger fish to fry, because I think we've settled that question tonight. The question is whether or not we care, whether or not we love the godliness that Jesus exuded, whether or not we're going to make every effort and still have faith and steadfastness to pursue that love that he calls us to to the very end. If you need someone to specifically come to hold your hand through this journey, if you need to call attention to that, say, I'm wavering and I need serious help and I need it now, we've all been there and you got to do that. Reach out to a brother or sister privately or come forward to the front while we stand and while we sing.